It comes from the book of Hebrews. If you turn with me to chapter 10 of Hebrews, we'll be focusing our attention on verses 19 through 25 with a particular focus on verse 25 where we find uh, a call, really a stern warning of the writer to the Hebrews to, to not neglect uh, meeting together, assembling together as the people of God. And tonight I am going to try to reflect uh, that stern warning to follow the biblical norm of meeting together as saints for worship uh, and for fellowship. Uh, I do not want to be uh, lacking in pastoral sensitivity, though. Uh, I do realize that there are exceptions in the sense that there are some who are unable physically to come and gather with the saints. Uh, but we must do our best, noting those exceptions. We must do our best to conform ourselves to the biblical pattern uh, that God sets for us in His Word, and it's that pattern uh, that is reflected here in this passage tonight. Well, this is God's holy Word. Let's uh, listen attentively as it's read and as it's preached tonight. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." Well, studies have been conducted and the revealing statistics are now in. Americans' membership in a local Christian church is on serious decline. A recent Gallup poll revealed that today less than 50 percent Less than 50% of Americans attend worship or are active in a local congregation. And even for Christians who have membership uh, in a local church, uh, their involvement, studies show, uh, is minimal at best, usually limited to about one hour of active participation a week. And if that isn't alarming enough, 53% of practicing Christians are now streaming online church. In fact, many megachurches now promote online church as an equal alternative to gathering with other Christians. And so now today in America, 17 million people prefer visiting church websites and live stream platforms and do not attend worship on a regular basis. It's a bleak picture. Most self-proclaimed Christians are at best casual observers or attenders or have dropped out of the church altogether. But neglecting the assembly of the saints is not a new problem for the church. 
Already in the first century, the writer to the Hebrews, as we read, had to admonish some in the early church for shrinking back from their original confession of Christ, cutting themselves off from the public gathering of the saints. For some, it was the the external pressure to return back to the familiar practices of Judaism that resulted in their absence. Uh, For some, their non-attendance could be ascribed simply to their apathy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the writer warns them in the passage I just read, he warns them sternly that if they try to go it alone, if they isolate themselves from their brothers and sisters in Christ, they will be poorly equipped to grow up in the assurance of their faith, especially in the midst of the fiery trials that have come upon them. He says to them that loner Christians will be food for the spiritual wolves. And so he exhorts them in verse 25, don't neglect meeting together. And this raises some practical questions for us today. How will we, as Christians living in the 21st century, how will we persevere until the very end? How does God choose to keep us secure in our salvation? And the clear answer of this passage that we're going to explore together tonight is that it is through the regular gathering of the saints for worship and for fellowship. And if we neglect the glorious assembly of the saints of God, we do so to our own spiritual peril. Christian assembly, God says here, is required. It's what God designs to bless and to grow His saints. And the first thing that we notice in the passage I read is that the author to the Hebrews begins his exhortation, his warning, by grounding his exhortation to keep meeting together as Christians. He grounds that exhortation in the reality of our shared salvation. He says that it's it's our mutual assurance of faith in the work of Christ for us that ought to fuel our desire to keep assembling together. Notice what he says in the first few verses, verses 19 to 21. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, he's talking about a spiritual reality, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, and then He's going to go on to to issue His instructions from there. But He begins by, by connecting the call to keep meeting together with the accomplished reality of their salvation through Jesus. And that's a pattern we often see in the New Testament, isn't it? We see that the the command, the imperative to hold fast, to obey, is rooted in the spiritual reality, the, the indicative of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. And what is that reality? What is that spiritual reality that binds us together as believers? What's that assurance of faith that we have? Here's the reality, the writer says to his audience. 
in your Christian life, in your Christian worship, he says, you get to go where no ordinary sinful Israelite ever had the freedom to go. You get to go behind the curtain. You get to go into the holy of holies, into the presence of God Himself. And you won't be consumed by the wrath of a holy God there, but you'll be embraced. You'll be welcomed as if you yourselves were pure and blameless. Come, draw near to God in confidence. Approach the holy God of heaven and earth. That's the assurance that every believer has. And what affords us that confidence, such assurance as believers? He says, we enter through the blood of Jesus Christ. By shedding His blood to, to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, to put to rest God's righteous wrath against us, Christ opened up for us a new and a living way to God. We can approach God. We can enter through the curtain, as it were, because the curtain of Jesus' body was torn. It was shed on the cross for our forgiveness. And now, as we live before Him, we have a great high priest, Jesus Himself, who presides over God's house, who is not merely a man, but one who is both God and man, and who always intercedes for us on account of His own righteousness. That's the blessed assurance that all believers know, that all believers share if they belong to Jesus Christ by faith. But what should our response be to the shared blessing of having Jesus as our interceding high priest? Our response should be to desire to gather with those for whom Jesus died. If we grasp the wonder of what Christ has done for His church, His bride, we could never shrink back from the life of the church, for its life is our life. So I ask you tonight, does the personal assurance that you have of Christ's priestly work on your behalf does that knowledge, does that assurance lead you to love His church more? Does it lead you to invest more of your life into its life? Does knowing that your sins are forgiven fully by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, does that make you want to worship Him more in the assembly of the saints? If not, why not? The natural impulse of a redeemed sinner is to dwell in unity, to dwell in rich fellowship with other redeemed sinners. The natural impulse of a redeemed sinner is to live with other redeemed sinners like a family, to worship together, to learn together, to serve together, laugh together, weep together, live together in the unity that we enjoy as those who share the assurance of our forgiveness of sins through Jesus, who continues to intercede for us before the throne of God. Our shared assurance of the forgiveness of sins, the writer says, is what grounds our calling to prioritize the assembly of the saints. But secondly, the writer goes on, and he gives us even more reasons not to neglect 
the assembly of the saints. In verses 22 to 24 in particular, he gives exhortation, and he gives it in the form of a command to respond to the work of Jesus in our lives uh, so that we might know the tangible blessing of His work within the community of the saints. There are blessings of mutual edification. There's blessings of spiritual growth when we commit ourselves in a willing and ongoing way to the life and to the worship of the church. Notice three exhortations here in these verses, verses 22 and following. Again, He has just said, you have the assurance of hope in Jesus Christ, your high priest. Since you have that, He says, first of all, in verse 22, draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer essentially says, since you know the assurance of your hope in Jesus Christ, act like saints. Live like someone who's been washed by Christ's blood and clothed in His righteousness. Don't shrink back. Don't cut yourself off from the covenant community as if you don't belong to it. Come close. Draw near into the sanctuary of God's presence. Come where His people are so that you can continue to receive mercy and grace through your mediator, Jesus. Show that you live with a cleansed conscience, that you know the washing of Christ signified and sealed in your baptism. Show it by drawing near, shoulder to shoulder with the redeemed for worship and for godly community. If you know the assurance of Christ, then draw near to Him in the presence of His people. Second, he says in verse 23, hold fast your confession. Look at verse 23 with me. Let us hold fast uh, the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Every Sunday, we gather as a congregation to profess that very thing, that God is faithful. We do that in our songs. We sing the words of the Psalms, the words of Scripture to declare that God has been faithful to us. We worship Him for that. We come as we did tonight, and we unite our voices and our hearts in our common confession of faith in the character of our God. We come and we give our offerings, confessing that the God has been faithful to us, and we can now respond by giving to Him and to His church. When we gather together as saints for worship and even for fellowship, we come acknowledging that our sovereign God has provided and will provide everything that we need, not just for the present, but also for the unknown future. And it's most appropriate that we acknowledge these things, the faithfulness of God, we acknowledge it together, not simply alone during our morning devotions or on the living room couch via live stream, but together when we lift our voices and our hearts in unison to exalt Christ, when we lift our voices to to confess His name before the watching world, we do something amazingly important. We're expressing our Catholicity as a church, 
that we belong to the universal church of all times and places. We're encouraging one another to hold fast to our confession and not waver in the midst of trial or trouble. And we're rejoicing together in our common confession, knowing that we are not alone, but we're surrounded by the loving family in the Lord who will help us hold on to our hope in Christ without wavering. You see, the confession to which we must hold fast is a public confession, not merely a private one. And so, we must make our confession in the assembly of the saints. We must gather together to make our confession and to hold on to our confession in Christ. Third, finally, in verse 24, the writer says again, if you have the full assurance of faith, uh, if you know Christ as your high priest, then let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. If we know the grace of Christ in our lives, we will want to care for others in the believing community. We will want to seek them out to help them in their life of faith. The writer uses a very active verb here in the original language. He says, essentially, consider how to stir one another up or, or stimulate one another, even exasperate one another in the best sense of the word, to stimulate one another to love and good works. What's the author's point? His point is that Christian perseverance, holding fast in the faith, is not intended to take place in solitary confinement. It's a community effort if we are going to hold fast to our confession in Jesus Christ. And community encouragement with the goal of growing in wisdom and knowledge and wisdom and perseverance, that requires being together. If we love Christ, we must love His bride, and we must spend time with her as much as we can. We should long for that time. We should cherish it, look forward to it, and wait with eager anticipation for the next opportunity to enjoy being with the people of God. I know there's a temptation to make a quick exit out of the back of the sanctuary after worship ends. You're tired, you're hungry, you don't want the roast to burn in the oven. There's a busy week ahead, and you're thinking about all that you have to do. Maybe you don't feel like talking just then. And maybe you struggle meeting new people. I suppose the excuses are endless. But if we are going to stimulate one another, if we are going to stir one another up to love and good works, then we need to linger after worship, to enjoy fellowship that is a foretaste of heaven itself. If we're to stir one another up into godliness, we need to linger and we need to talk about our shared assurance in Christ. We need to linger so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to linger and fellowship with one another so that we can pray with one another for the Spirit's strength to persevere 
in our confession in the midst of this wicked age. And so we're called to obey the exhortation to come together, to not remain isolated or solitary, but come together in a regular, committed way, not neglecting to meet because there are a host of blessings for those who belong to the assembly of Christ's redeemed saints. Finally, Christian assembly is required, the author says, because the day of Christ's personal return is close at hand. The writer ends his instructions with an urgent plea. Look with me at verse 25. He says, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. What is that day that the author is referring to? Well, the author has in mind the day of the Lord, and if you've read the Old Testament, of course, you, you, you've come across that, that uh, day before. Uh, it's mentioned many times throughout the Old Testament. Basically, the day of the Lord uh, refers to a great event, a great occasion when God would demonstrate His power by perfectly judging His enemies as well as the enemies of the church a day in which God would set and fix the eternal destinies of all people. And Israel's hope, the church's hope, was that they would be spared from the destructive power of God on the day of the Lord. But there were times when the people of Israel presumed too much. And in the days of the prophets Joel and Amos, for example, Israel was reminded that on account of their sin, judgment would come first to the covenant community because of Israel's faithless idolatry, because of her rampant materialism. And the writer to the Hebrews says, the day of the Lord, which is going to reach its climactic fulfillment at the return of Jesus Christ, the judge of all, the day of the Lord is coming soon. It could arrive any moment. It's a day for which you need to be prepared. How do we prepare? How do we prepare for that great day of Jesus' return? We, we, we prepare by responding appropriately to the blessings we receive from Christ Jesus, blessings which do not come to us merely as individuals, but blessings that are realized within the regular communal life and worship of the church. Blessings that multiply when we commit ourselves to loving, encouraging, and stirring one another up to love and good works. Dear saints, please do not attempt to prepare yourself for the day of the Lord in your own strength and wisdom. Do not think that you can persevere by yourself to the end. Please do not think that you can stand firm all alone against the fiery darts of the devil who is becoming more desperate as the day of his destruction looms. These are days of stress. These are days of tremendous pressure and hardship, darkness and evil. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian in this world. 
But God has told you and me what we need to do to hold fast to our confession of hope. He says, you must assemble. You must gather. You must meet. Lone Ranger Christians will not fare well in these last days. So link yourself to Christ. Link yourself to His bride whom He loves. Jesus desires to bless you. He wants to assure you. He wants to preserve you and protect you. And He desires to meet all of your needs through the care and the counsel of other believers, other Christians. So don't neglect the assembly of the saints. It is your life. It is your joy. It is your privilege to belong to this body, this assembly. Make its life your life and all the more as the day approaches. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank You for the wondrous gift that we have received. You have brought us into the fold. You have made us members of the family. We do not exist outside in the cold, in the dark, amidst this evil and wicked age. But You have shown the light of Your grace into our hearts, and You have given us an everlasting hope through Jesus Christ. You have opened up a new and living way to God through the curtain of Your body which was torn on the cross to earn our redemption. And now we belong with hosts of others who likewise have this assurance, this hope of the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ. We join together as those who have an intercessor, a helper in heaven who, who intercedes on our behalf. And Lord, out of joy that we have now been brought in and made members of the family, may we never, ever cut ourselves off from this glorious assembly. May we never believe the lie that we can go it alone, that we can be solitary Christians outside of the care and the counsel and the authority of the church. Lord, may it be our joy, may it be our hunger and our desire to meet regularly, as regularly as possible, with other redeemed saints that we might encourage one another sharpen one another, bless one another, encourage one another, share one another's sorrows and joys. And Lord, may we do so all the more as we prepare for the return of Christ, as we need to be readied and prepared and preserved in these wicked days when it will, it will be difficult to confess Christ. Lord, may the life of Your church be integral to our own lives, and may we give ourselves to the abundant life of Your church, the assembly of the saints. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.